It's, it's the focus of all of this. So asking you this, what, is, what does the resurrection mean to you? Now, I've been, I've been going down this road for a few months now, kind of culminating um, with this this morning. I'm actually going to be switching gears uh, next week and over the next few weeks into some different subjects. But this has been the, 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 the foundation of what I've been looking at over the last few months is what does Jesus really mean to us and when, not if, but when our society gets to the point where um, religious freedom is no longer there and Christianity is persecuted to the point of like jail and stuff like that. <clears throat> and I had a conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago that said, oh, it's never going to get to that place. You're being uh, willfully ignorant if you don't think that, that that's the trail we're on. You, it will be very soon, I'm saying within a few years, where people will be put in jail for their relationship with Jesus. It won't sound exactly like that, but that's what it'll be. We're already seeing where just, just freedom of speech has been taken off the college campus, has been taken off public schools, been taken off public settings. We don't have freedom of speech anymore. You're not allowed to say something that somebody else disagrees with. I've watched a lot of people say a lot of things. In fact, I'm one of the few, and, I, and I, this is probably controversial that I say this, but <clears throat> I believe that now I served in the military. i very much pro-America. You guys know that. I mean, you can't be around here long at all before you know that. I think America is the most amazing country on the planet ever in history. But I believe it's the free right of somebody. If they want to take an American flag and jump up and down on it and burn it and do whatever they want, they have those freedoms. I think they're idiots, and I'd, I'd like to catch them alone somewhere. <laughs> but they have that freedom because we're a free country. And everywhere we look right now, our freedoms are being taken away. Constantly pulled, pulled, and pulled. Now, why am I saying that? Because do you really think Satan cares whether America has freedom of speech? No. What Satan is concerned about is whether you have freedom to serve a resurrected Savior. That's what he's trying to shut down. And be careful, because anytime you see in some public setting, in some school setting, some medical setting, and we were seeing a lot of stuff, when you see freedoms taken away, I'm telling you, it will end at the cross. That's the goal of Satan. Don't, don't, don't just, well, it's just a little bit of freedoms. It's okay that we get it taken away. No. It will end at the cross because that's Satan's direction. All the other things are just a path he's using. But his direction is he wants to take your freedom away to congregate with other people and worship God. Why? Because public, working together, worshiping, corporate service, worship, church, all the things that are involved in that are vital for your, for your Christian walk. They are. You need to be sitting beside somebody you're sitting beside right now. You need to be in the same building. And there are some people that you're, you're thinking, well, I wish they didn't go to this church. They may think the same thing about you, so we're all good. <laughs> Freedom. But the reality is, is you need the people around you to serve Jesus Christ. You need this. It's necessary. So how does the resurrection personally interact with you? What does that mean to you? And to really think through... Um, does it really change you? Does, does the mentality of Easter, does the mentality of the resurrection, does it change you? Are you forever different? Do you, do you have this desire to serve Jesus? I had somebody tell me just a few weeks ago, we were talking about Christian walk and things like that, and, and they said, you know, when I look around Christianity, they're not a pastor or anything like that, they're just a Christian guy, and he said, when I look around Christianity today, and he says, I look at people my age, and he's a little older, he said, I see a lot of people that don't mind going to church and they don't mind doing the Christian stuff, but I don't see this deep passion to serve God. 
this motivating passion that says, I need Jesus more than anything. And, and we talked about that for a little bit, and he was specific, specifically speaking about his generation, uh, 60s, 70s. And, and I got to thinking about this. I've, I've said things like this enough. You guys know this, what I think about this. I don't think that's limited to that generation. As I think right now across the board, in any age group in America today, there's a, there's a lack of passion to serve Jesus. We have a passion to have church sometimes, but not, Jesus, I need you. I need your will and your plan. I'm seeking your plan. I see this more and more and more today where basically we say, this is what I'm going to do. God, please bless it. And then we hope it all works out. And then it doesn't work out, and we're upset at God. Instead of, God, I need you. What do you want me to do? Take all my will, my plans, my desires, take them off the table, and tell me what you want me to do. Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to think? What do you want me to, to believe? Who do you want me to talk to, pray for? How do you want me to serve you today? And there seems to be that missing thing. And so I'm going to do this a little different than kind of like a normal Easter message this morning. My goal with this is by the time I'm finished, that, that the, the Holy Spirit really has ignited something in you, something very profound, and that, that, that it begins us on a new journey. And I'm saying it regardless of whether you're a brand new Christian or you've been a Christian for a long time. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, okay? But wherever you are in your walk with Jesus, wherever you are, that there is a, a deep, profound desire, a passion is stirred to serve him. That's, that's my goal with this this morning. And that's been the goal for the last two or three months. What I've been talking about is we've got to wake up. We're, there is a, time is short. You say, well, people have been saying Jesus is coming since the beginning of time. Now, be careful when you ever say something like that, because the Bible actually says when you say that, he's probably about to come back. Right? But here's what I do know. You say, well, what if Jesus doesn't come back right now? You're still going to die. So you still, your time is still short. And some of you, it's shorter than others. Now, some of you are thinking, is he picking on the older people? That's not what I'm picking on. What I'm picking on is we don't know what tomorrow holds. Okay? So there needs to be an urgency in our spirit, an urgency that says, Jesus, I need you. Matthew chapter 27. Now, as you hold this cross... I ask you to keep it in your hand while I'm talking, because I, I, this is, this is the, the reason that we're doing this, is the whole time through this, I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures about who was hung on the cross, not the, the hanging on the cross moment, we're going to look at that in just a brief moment, but really looking at who was hung on the cross, and I want you to think about this, I want you to constantly be thinking about the cross is empty right now because he is resurrected. The cross is empty because he's the king, he's the king of everything. To be processing that and to hold this in your hand, because some of you are more tactile than others, it's easier for you to process as you're holding it. So anytime you're thinking about this, think about the empty cross. Think about the stuff that I'm reading here. This, the, the, there was a guy hung on a cross that is this guy, and it's for you and me. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. You know the whole thing with the scarlet robes? You know, I don't hear that mentioned a lot, but... The whole idea that they were mocking the fact that he says he's a king, all that. Um, in fact, there's something it says here. It says, they wove thorn branches of, into a crown and put it on his head. I have one of these crowns in my office. Every, every few years, I'll bring it out. The thorns are like this long. 
And, uh, and when I was growing up, you saw this nice little woven thing you put on his head and, you know, the little thorns. That's because in America we didn't have these, these uh, uh, Jewish olive trees, I think is what it is. And, and the thorns are like this long. They shoved this down his head. And again, this is mocking. He says he's a king. Okay. They didn't do this to everybody else that was being hung on a cross. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head, and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, king of the Jews. And then they spit on him and grabbed the stick, the scepter that he was holding, grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. That's a, that's a tradition for when you conquer a, a, um, <clears throat> a, a warring tribe or something like that, you take the king's scepter and you hit him with it because that represents his authority and power, and you're beating him with his own authority and power. And then they would also cut off their thumbs. You know why they do that? The king couldn't uh, hold the scepter anymore. He couldn't be, he, there's a lot of things you can't do without a thumb. They would cut off the thumbs, and then a king that had conquered a lot of people would have, in my head, I know this is not the way it worked, in my head they would have like a necklace with thumbs on it, you know, kind of thing. But they did keep the thumbs because they would show that to other kings when they, came, when, they, when they met with other kings, they would say, hey, do you think I'm a pretty uh, important king? I don't know. I got 17 thumbs. You're pretty important. I don't want my thumb added to that. That's the concept here. So they spit on him. They grabbed the stick, and they struck him in the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. And they led him away <clears throat> to be crucified. John chapter 19, verse 16. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place called Place of the Skull in Hebrew, Golgotha. In verse 17 where it says, um, carried the, the, the cross by himself. Um, this was also something that was a little different for him than it was everybody else. Not everybody was made to carry their cross to their own crucifixion. Part of the reason is most people couldn't carry it. It's a pretty big, heavy thing. This is why I always wondered for years where it talks about the, the father with the two boys that come out and then the, the uh, father um, carries, helps Jesus carry the cross. Right? I always wondered why that was mentioned. I, think, I, I, I kept thinking to myself, maybe Jesus just did that so we could have that Ray Bolt song, you know, but maybe not. So there had to have been a reason, and one of the things was Jesus was carrying the cross by himself. They wanted you to know. They wanted you to, to, to know through not just them saying it in John, but through the understanding that somebody came out and helped him carry it to the, to the danger of him being also put in prison for that, helping a prisoner, that Jesus was carrying this by himself after they had done all this other stuff. And there they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side, with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign over him that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. I've always liked that because Pilate actually spoke truth there. And that speaking truth so angered everybody around at that moment that they couldn't even, even though I believe that Pilate was putting it up as, um, as uh, sarcasm, I mean, it was... Uh, he, wasn't, he didn't believe Jesus was the king of the Jews or he wouldn't have done all this. So he doesn't believe it. He was just trying to not only uh, go Jesus, but he was also messing with the religious leaders. So he puts the king of the Jews up there. And just that being up there so angered them. They, want him to, they wanted him to change it. They wanted him to take the sign down and, and change it. It said he said he's the king of the Jews. This is one of the things that we're seeing in our country right now today where there is so much 
anger and vitriol for just basic truth. Just simple statements of truth. That, that there's so much attack, attack, attack. It is very difficult. I watched the whole thing yesterday, a couple hours long. It is so difficult for any conservative voice to get on any college campus today. To the point where there's riots, there's people attacking, they will, they will lock teachers in classrooms. I saw one clip in specific where the, uh, the president of the university was locked in his office and he had asked permission to come out and go to the bathroom and he was locked in there by students. This was two months ago. Locked in there by students because they had asked a conservative speaker to come to the university. The, cur- the conservative speaker was uh, Vice President Pence. Do you, you, you understand where we have got to in this country? Truth is a dangerous thing. It's a scary thing. It's a bigoted thing. It's a some-phobic thing. In reality, it's just truth. But Satan hates truth. And I believe the driving force behind them being so angry when this sign was put over Jesus' head was because Satan didn't like that truth. And he knew it was truth. Jesus really is the king. He's the transcendent king of the Jews. They said, please change it. Verse 20, the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. Now, here's where I want to switch gears with this a little bit. That's, that's the story of, of a Good Friday. I saw a cartoon this week about Good Friday, and this guy was saying, um, why do we call it Good Friday? Uh, the most important person ever in history died. Why would we call it Good Friday? Somebody else is standing there, and they said, uh, would you like to trade places with him? Because he died for you. Would you like to trade places with him? No. Then what do you call that? Good. That's why we call it Good Friday. It's a horrible, horrible day in history. And it was also one of the most important liberating days in history. So yeah, it's Good Friday. So here's, here's what I'd like to look at with this. I just basically read the, the story of the crucifixion. The basics of the crucifixion. So here is what I'd like to focus on is is the cross. The person that was actually hung on the cross. Who was this? Who was this king of the Jews? That's what the sign said, king of the Jews. Who was this? This is sometimes where I think we forget this or we just kind of leave it out or it becomes a little dissipated in our thought process. Same way with Christmas. You know, we make Jesus the baby Jesus during Christmas and it's hard to see the, the whole story, because we're focusing on that. Same thing through Easter. I think sometimes we get so focused on, on the death, burial, and resurrection, which is important, obviously, but we miss who was killed, who was buried, and who was resurrected. This is the king. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, the word already existed. I, I've talked about this before. I really do believe and I know that, that this, may, this seems controversial, but to me, in my head it does not seem controversial. But I really don't believe that when we get to eternity, we're going to be calling Jesus the Son of God. I believe that is a term that Jesus uses for the incarnation to help us understand God the Father, God the Son, authority, relationship, the, the hanging on the cross and all this stuff. I believe the Son is a term that Jesus is allowed, used for him for a temporary time frame. And here's part of my argument, is when John, who is speaking in a transcendent mentality, he's not limiting his book 
to just the time that Jesus was on this earth. He is speaking different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They were, they were telling the story of Jesus on this earth. John is telling the story of a transcendent king that started before we ever existed and doesn't end until way after this earth and everything is done. He never ends. He's transcendent. He lives forever. That's the story of Jesus that John's trying to tell. And so John is not limiting some of his language to the time frame of the 33 years that Jesus is on the earth where Matthew, Mark, and Luke are to some extent. So John starts his book off not calling the Son of God. In fact, all through the book of John, more than any other book, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Okay? So John starts off with this. In the beginning was the Word. See, I believe a million years from now when we're standing in heaven with Jesus we will be calling him the Word, not the Son of God. The Son of God term will, will kind of go away. It, it won't mean the same once we step into eternity. But the Word will always be. Because why? Everything that's ever created, Jesus spoke it into existence. He's the Word, the transcendent Word above everything. Then beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Jesus, through the Word. So, so we see this, we see the Trinity kind of thing going on. God is creating through Jesus, so we know they're different. We know they're separate, but Jesus is actually the one speaking in existence, and I believe the way that the Holy Spirit fits into this is He is the power that makes it happen. He's the, he's, the, um, he's the actualizer. He's the power. Jesus speaks it, and because they are also all the same while being separate, the Holy Spirit makes it happen. But Jesus is the Word that speaks it. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. And that sentence is a, is a major focus for me this morning is at what particular point when we see the light of Jesus Christ, when we, when we understand Jesus as the Word, at what point does that grab on so much to our spirit that we are forever changed and we will never turn away from God from that moment on? Now, I know there's always um, limitedness and sin and all that. I, I get that. We're all human. You're never going to be perfect. But you can have an undying pursuit of Jesus as a human being. And we've seen many examples of that over the years. And some of you right here in this building, you are that example. You are this undying pursuit. I pursue Jesus more than anything. Because we have to own this a little bit. This is not the norm for American Christianity right now. We need a hunger. We need when the, when the light is revealed to us that it so chases out darkness that we are uncomfortable with any level of darkness ever in our existence again. That we, that we, we push against that. I reject, I rebuke darkness, I rebuke sin, I rebuke laziness, I rebuke self, I rebuke self-direction, all this other kind of stuff, and I pursue the king. Because why? I've seen, I've seen this light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Who is this king? Job chapter 37. Then comes the roaring of the thunder, the tremendous voice of his majesty. He does not restrain it when he speaks. Now, I've heard people wonder, okay, is this God? Is this Jesus? Is this the Holy Spirit? Which one is it? We know which one it is because he's speaking. Right? If he's speaking, it's the Word. This is Jesus' voice that we're hearing here. 
He does not restrain it when He speaks. God's voice is glorious in the thunder. He can't even imagine, we can't even imagine the greatness of His power. That's who was hung on the cross. Think about what we're, we're talking about here. This, the thunderous voice that we can't even imagine His power, that's who was hung on the cross. That's, when they, that's why when Pilate takes this little sign and says, King of the Jews, and puts it up there as a joke, he has no idea what he's actually doing. This is the voice of all voices. This is the thunder from heaven. And we'll never understand the magnitude of his power. And he let those people hang him on the cross. Genesis chapter 8. Some things doing with wind here. Genesis chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. He sent a wind to blow across the earth. You understand the entire earth was flooded? This is something that got me years ago. I was in El Paso uh, up on the side of a, a mountain. And, um, and it's a little pass that goes from one side of El Paso to the other. And there's some campgrounds and stuff. And I was up there in the mountains, me and my brother walking around. And I, I reached down and I found a little handful of seashells. That's pretty cool. There's not been water there in ever. And, and people say, well, you know, the earth was different and all these different kind of things. I had this conversation with my boys the other day when, when my son was here a month or two ago. And, and uh, we're talking about the, 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 the land masses separating and becoming the different land masses. And they were talking about all these shifts of, of um, to, uh, the plates, the tonic plates, shifts and all this kind of stuff. And, they were t- and I finally said, you guys are kind of close, but you're missing something. God actually told us when he separated all the land masses. He told us that. And they're like, what? I'm like, Don't you read the Bible? That's what Jesus asked the Pharisees, right? Don't you read this thing? But uh, I, I, I showed him in Genesis. God says this is when he separated the land masses. Because they're like, well, all this stuff has to come with Teutonic plate shifts and all this kind of stuff. And the, the, the land masses got where they were because of shifting. And I said, no, they didn't. God put them there. Do, do plates shift today? Sure, plates shift today. But not 4,000 miles. They shift this far. God says when he separated all this stuff, that's, that's the person that they hung on the cross. Is the one that can control all this stuff. He blows the wind across the entire earth. Why? Because the entire earth was covered with water that he put there. Because he caused it to rain for the very first time. And he floods the entire earth with water. Now this is one that just gets me. Now I know we got gravity. I know what you guys, but Jesus created gravity. And then he floods the entire earth from water coming down from the sky. This whole thing is majestic and no matter which way you look at it. And Jesus is the one who did it. And then he dries the entire earth with wind. There's only one weather I don't like. Wind. It was blowing on the entire earth at that time. To the point where it dried everything. This is the person that we hung on a, on a tiny little cross, on a tiny little spot, on the middle of one of the tiny little pieces of land on this earth, that's a tiny little earth in the full expanse of all of God's creation. And Jesus limits himself to that tiny little physical body so that we could brutalize that body for him. That's the person that we hung on the cross. He sent a wind to blow across the earth and the floodwaters begin to recede. 
The underground water stopped flowing, which, which is just an interesting thing if you ever just study this. You realize that while it was raining, it was also coming up from the ground still too. It says that. So the torrential rains from the sky were stopped. Exodus chapter 14. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. Now again, so much science, so much stuff, people try to say things, well, how did this really work? You know, there's a, there's a shelf in the, I mean, I've seen all the geographic, national, history channel stuff, you know. Well, there's a natural shelf under there, that's where they walked across. Come on, guys, you've got to read it all. Then, then in that same little shelf that they walked across, an entire army was drowned. You had to have some swimmers, right? You can't convince me none of Pharaoh's guys knew how to swim. They all drowned because it, was a, it wasn't on a little shelf under the water. It was the, 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 the bottom of the sea, and God parts the waters and dries the ground to where not even one donkey or one cart or one person got their sandal stuck in the mud on the bottom of the water. This is the person that they hung on the cross. And you know, to, to own this a little bit, our sin is part of that, so we hung on the cross. I've had this question, people will say, well, did the Jews or the Romans hang Jesus on the cross? Did the Jews or the Romans kill Jesus? Because the Jews brought him to the Romans, and the Romans actually killed Jesus. But according to Scripture, you and I killed Jesus. That's what Scripture says. Our sin is what does this. This is why Jesus did that. Job chapter 12, if he holds back the rain, the earth becomes a desert. If he releases the water, they flood the earth. Watched a great thing on on um, planet uh, Earth. Is that the name of it? It's a great series right now. My son loves watching it, and he and I are watching it together. And, and it was showing when the waters come through um, <clears throat> the deserts of Africa, and, and they're dry for eight or nine months of the year, and then all of a sudden the rains come and the waters come, and everything springs to life and all this kind of stuff. And that is exactly the picture that we're seeing right here, except that God can do that anywhere he wants. And I'll give you something else that you can own here a little bit, because to me, this is... This is more than just physical, I believe. And, th and if you go to the story of Job, I think this plays out. If he holds back the rain, the earth becomes a desert. If he releases the water, they flood the earth. I believe that that can be in your spiritual walk too. That sometimes God does take us through dry times. He wants us to reach for him. He wants us to search for him. And then sometimes he just floods our life. And it's powerful. And both are very important. And I believe that God can do this. Psalms 29, verse 10. The Lord rules over the floodwaters. The Lord reigns as king forever. How about in creation? Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. I love that sentence. This is, the, this is one of the sentences I've used for years and years now to prove that atheists don't exist. Right? You understand what I'm saying? And I'll say that to an atheist. I mean, I say it a little joking, a little funny. I'm not trying to be a jerk to them, but I really am trying to make them think. When they say I'm an atheist, I'll say, I don't believe in that. What? I don't believe in atheists. That throws them. They're like, what? doesn't compute. What are you saying? What they expect you to do is start defending God. I don't need to defend God. God defends God. Look, just look at that. You're telling me there's no God? 
Sorry about you guys. You can't see the snow over there. God defends himself. I don't need to defend him. The stars in the sky shout out his existence. I don't need to defend God. So an atheist says to me, I'm an atheist, so I don't believe in you. Why? Because God has put his, his, his uh, desire to know him, his creation within you. He has put this, and it's a beautiful thing. He has put it right in the middle. Let's read it again. He has placed eternity in the human heart. And here's the sad part. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. And we never will be, by the way. I don't think it's totally sad. I believe even when we get to eternity, we're not going to know everything about God. This is something I heard from a little kid growing up. Well, you're going to know everything when you get to heaven. Like this all-consuming, uh, all-encompassing statement. You're going to know everything. I don't think that's possible. Because why? God is too big for any of us to ever totally understand. You may know everything about this planet and how God put it together. And, and every, I mean, I, mean I, th- I think that's a legitimate possibility. You may know everything about his creation, about how he created you and designed you. You may know everything about that, but you're going to spend all of eternity having new revelation about God. All of eternity. Because why? That's who he is. And by the way, that's who we put on the cross. That's who we hung on the cross. In Isaiah 6, where the angels are circling God, and, and, and again, there's three angels there. It says that there's three. How do I know that there's three? Because they said, holy, holy, holy. Could be 300, could be 10, I don't know. But we do know they said three, the, the three holies. Why? Because there is three from God, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. And I believe that's a Trinitarian scripture. That when they're saying holy, 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 it's because they see God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And for all of eternity, those angels are created to just fly around God and and declare holy, to cry out holy. That's the guy we hung on the cross. That's the king that we put on the cross. Psalms 8, verse 3, When I look into the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, the work of your fingers. This tiny little finger. Put a tiny star up there. Of course, it's a, it's a, a sun ten times larger than our planet. But his little fingers, just put them right up there. Do, do you understand that? Do you see the magnitude of that? I've shown this before. I've shown pictures of, of stars and planets. and all. You know, Earth is very, very small in most of the planets out there. We're very small compared to most of them. And we're not near as big as most of the suns that are out there. The stars that are suns. And Jesus just puts them out there with his fingers. That's the guy that we hung on the cross. Psalms 89, 11, The heavens are yours, and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. This is something I try to remind myself regularly. I try to pray this. Well, I do pray it pretty much every day. I pray this basic version. You've heard me say this. That, God, not my will, not my plans, not my desires, not what I want. Why do I pray that? Because that's a constant battle with me. And I believe it's a constant battle with you too. I can't be the only self-focused person in this room. Flesh. God, not my will. Why? Because I want my will. Not my plans. Why? Because I want my plans. 
Not my desires, not my goals. Not God, I want yours, your will, your plans, your desires. Why? Because I know at the end of the day, he created everything. And if I can just let him be in charge, if I will learn to let him be in charge, surrender to his authority and his majesty, it's going to be the best option. It's going to be the best. Regardless of how difficult it may be at different times, it's going to be the best. Why? Because the heavens are yours and the earth is yours, and everything in the world is yours. You created it all. This is the person we hung on the cross. Job chapter 5, verse 9, talking of his majesty, he does great things, too marvelous to understand. He performs countless miracles. And, and I believe that's his desire right now, today, just as, as powerfully as when, God, uh, when Job said this. He wants to perform miracles today. With who? With you. With me. With us, with our church, with Christians all across Colorado Springs, Christians all across America. I believe he wants to perform miracles with non-Christians. In fact, if you look in the New Testament, he does more miracles with non-Christians than he did with Christians. Right? Because he was saying, hey, I'm God. How, how can I prove this to you? Okay, I'm here. Have an arm. I mean, that's the kind of thing he does. And, and, and it's very difficult to disagree with that, right? You're like, you don't have an arm. You're like, are you Jesus? Boom, you got an arm. I think you're Jesus. <laughs> right? I, I, I agree with that. And that's why Jesus does, it, does those things. It's one of the reasons. And that's also why we should have a boldness to say, when we tell somebody about Jesus, Jesus can fix the stuff in your life. He can take care of the stuff. Surrender to him. That's the key. Don't just ask him for the stuff. Surrender to him. But Jesus can do some pretty amazing things. Why? This is who he is. He, gives, he, he gave people the ability to see. Why? It's who he is. Okay. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. And that's where we get stuck, right? We, we don't understand him. And so because we feel like we have to understand, it causes uh, friction in our relationship with the Lord. Except that he's the king. All we have to do is submit to him. Submit to him. Chase after him. I've been reading uh, Pilgrim's Progress by um, Bunyan. Uh, I, I've read it a few different times, but I've been reading it again lately, just going through it, the original version that hadn't been fixed all the language and stuff. It's like the old King James kind of version. And, um, and, it's, and it's amazing how it's constantly about pursuing God, putting your stuff aside and pursuing God, getting on the trail and just staying on the path and pursuing God. It's not about the stuff. And everything you can imagine comes up in that book. If you haven't read it, it's, it's a good read. It's a difficult read if you read the original. But pursuing God. Push this aside. Push this aside. Push it. Pursue God. It's powerful. We've got to have that. Why? Because all, wisdom knowledge comes from him. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. This is the guy we hung on the cross. How amazing are the deeds of the Lord. All who delight in him should ponder them. Everything he does reveals his glory and his majesty. His righteousness never fails. Psalms 97. The Lord is king. Let the earth rejoice. Let the farthest coastlands be glad. Dark clouds surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. This is the person that we hung on the cross. Fire spreads ahead of him 
and burns up all of his foes. When they were mocking Jesus and they said, Jesus, if you're God, why don't you pull yourself down off that cross? Do you realize what he could have done at that moment? What he could have accomplished? And there had to have been something in his flesh that said, I would like to teach all of these people a lesson right now. They have hurt me so bad. There's no way you could convince me it didn't go through his head a few times. I could obliterate him. Fire goes before him and burns up all of his foes. But he voluntarily said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. That's the one we hung on the cross. His lightning flashes out across the world. The earth sees and trembles. I think we need some more trembling in our hearts and in our country. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all earth. We're going to sing a song. Um, some of you may know it, some of you may not. But this, this song grabs me. I've been listening to it for a few months now. You've probably heard it on the radio. We want to sing this and um, show you this song. And my goal is pay attention to what it's saying and the fact that you have the opportunity to worship God. You have the opportunity to serve him. And think about this cross. Think about this. And then we're going to pray at the end of this. But to, but to teach you this song this morning. Catch your breath Evolve 
evolving in pursuit of what you said. If it all reveals your nature, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you say. Every painted sky, a canvas of your grace. If creation still obeys you, so will I. Now we know that he's not just the, the person who was hung on the cross. We also know he's the resurrected king. He's the resurrected king. He's the king of everything, but he's the resurrected king. And right now, as we are here and thinking about him, worshiping him, whatever the case is, he's the resurrected king. He's the king of everything. Matthew 28, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone and sat on it. Do you believe this happened? His face shone like lightning. His clothing was white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he isn't here. He has risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. You can come and see where his body is lying. And I am forgiven. You are forgiven right now. We are forgiven because Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. You're forgiven because his blood was poured out and Jesus was resurrected. In Ephesians 1, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And so to resonate this song in my spirit with you also, we have the opportunity to worship him this morning. We have the opportunity if the rocks are worshiped, so will I. If the skies declare hid, so will I. Because I, I'm self-aware. I know who I am. They don't. The rocks don't. But I do. And I have the choice to worship him. The stars were made to worship, so will I. The mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. Rocks cry out in silence, so will I. The sum of all our praises still falls shy. And we'll sing again a hundred billion times. salvation you chased down my heart through all of my failures and pride 
Until you created the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak on this, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've done. Every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. I can see your heart eight billion different ways. Every precious one, a child you died to save. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. Like you would again a hundred billion times. Amen. But what measure could amount to your desire? You're the one who never leaves the one behind. Sing it again. Like you would again a hundred billion times. But what measure could amount to your desire? You're the one who never leaves the one behind. Let me sing this last little part. And um, I'd like to invite you to, to just find a place to pray. Just find a place to kneel down. We've got altars up at the front. You can use the front chairs right where you're sitting. Find a place to pray and just talk to Jesus and talk to him about one of the lines we just read, that if you're going to surrender Jesus, I'm going to surrender. If you're going to give yourself, I give myself. And if something else is going to worship you, I'm definitely going to worship you because I have the choice. Let's sing that again. Like you would again a hundred billion times. What measure could amount to your desire? You're the one who never leaves the one behind. Like you would again a hundred billion times. What measure could amount to your desire? You're the one who never leaves the one behind. Like you would again a hundred billion times. What measure could amount to your desire? The one who never leaves the one
sing it again. Like you would again a hundred billion times. What measure could amount to your desire? The one who never leaves the one behind. Like you would again a hundred billion times. What measure could amount to your desire? The one who never leaves the one behind. We just thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to go to the cross. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your power. We thank you. Jesus, the message you gave us earlier we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be intimidated. Lord, put that deep into our spirit right now. We don't have to be worried about what the world says or thinks. We don't have to be worried about what anybody thinks. We just pursue you. We just pursue you. We're hungry for you and your grace and your mercy and your closeness, Lord, more than anything else. Just being close to you, letting letting you into our, our life and our minds completely so that we hear your voice. Your word ignites within our spirit. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Lord, I pray against anything that would try to hold us back, anything in ourselves, any any ideas any worldviews, anything that would hold us back from just pursuing you. In the name of Jesus. But it's not about people. It's not about churches. It's about you. It's about pursuing you. Jesus, that's what we desire. And Lord, I pray that you put deep within our spirit right now a compassion for the lost. All the people through Colorado Springs right now that don't know that you died for them, that don't know. Lord, I pray for all the people at the 
Easter egg hunt yesterday. So many people that had no intention of going to church today. Lord, ignite their spirit with the reality that you're the king. That you're the king over Colorado Springs. You're the king over their world, their life. You're the king. You're the king over us. In Jesus' name. You're the king. Fill us with your spirit, your power, your presence. Help us to hunger for you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You may have the opportunity today to get with family or friends or something for lunch or something. Just take the opportunity, just a little little boldness, step out there, maybe say something, maybe pray for them, maybe something. Kids, adults, whatever. Just say something about Jesus, what he means to you, who he is, something. And I, I guarantee you the Holy Spirit will anoint that more than you can imagine the Holy Spirit will anoint that. So happy Easter. Happy the rest of the day. And uh, men, don't forget, men, we, we want you to go to men's retreat. We need you to go to men's retreat. You need you to go to men's retreat. So we will see you Wednesday night. Shake somebody's hand. Hug their neck. Tell them how wonderful they look today on this Easter morning. And uh, we will see you later this week.